As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, Belle du Jour D. The epic... 4-1 Champions League victory that left Paris in pieces on a night for the Newcastle born and bred. Also today, Man United, welcome to fresh hell. Arsenal's lens loss is a spectacle. Arsenal's clash with Man City this Sunday. Takeover news and that World Cup decision. Well done, boys. Good process. It's the Totally Football Show. Well, Thursday the 5th of October, it's the Totally Football Show with Raphael Honigstein. Good morning. Good morning to you, Raphael. Also, Michael Cox with us. Hi, James. Hi, Michael. And Michael's editor, Duncan Alexander. <laughs> Hello, James. Uh, Ollie to his dad, if I you will. I think so, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, Michael's always uh, coming up to me and saying stuff, and I'm like, no, no, shh, no, can't go back. That's not right, can't that. <laughs> what are you working on at the moment, Michael? Got a big piece out today about... Um, Six pointers at the top of the Premier League table and nice. how often they're actually crucial. Is that topical? Well, Manchester City beat Arsenal twice last year uh, to get six points from those games and won the league by five points. Yeah. But uh, it's not always that simple, James. Is it not? No. Damn. I, I do imagine Michael is very much the maverick when it comes to what he's going to write. A little bit. Do you know if you remember, you know, your classic Starsky and Hutch, they go and see the DA, DA you in this case, sort of go... Close this case down and they chat. And you've got 24 hours to solve this article. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it's like. Pretty much. Wow. We've had an amazing 24, even 48 hours, haven't we, Raf? With that Champions League. 55 goals, which is a lot. I mean, the group stage is much maligned, but uh, mm. it delivered on match day too. Right. Michael, they're one of the maligners. Maybe we'll get onto that. Probably not. To be honest, I was thinking the same thing midway through last night. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't watching the goal show, sorry. I was watching PSG. Were you watching PSG? PSG Newcastle, yeah. Right. But No, it has been really good so far. Yeah. I think it helps the groups are quite uneven. Like there's a, you know, that PSG Newcastle group is, every game is quite exciting, I think. Yeah. I'm not sure there's any science behind it, but it does feel like match day two is the best one. Is that? Is that Along with match day five. I just don't know. They're the <laughs> ones that seem to have the vibe of right. goodness. Yeah. Okay. Are you Ma- suggesting an article for me? <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe. <laughs> Well, in this match day two, 
Tuesday proved pretty disastrous for Premier League sides. Arsenal, who lost at Ligue 1 strugglers, Lens. Man United, who tumbled 3-2 at home to Galatasaray. Bayern, in the meantime, in United's group, winning 2-1 in Copenhagen to post their 16th consecutive group stage victory. In Naples, meanwhile, Jubelli on the star again as Real Madrid beat Napoli 3-2. Wednesday, uh, Barcelona beat Porto at the Dragao 1-0. Man City was 3-1 winners at RB Leipzig, while in Group F while Dortmund and Milan had a nil-nil. Both those sides yet to score in the Champions League this season. Newcastle had themselves a night of it. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Encroyable there on Tyneside Wednesday night. Before the game... PSG visiting Newcastle. 4-1 might have sounded a reasonable scoreline, but 4-1 to Newcastle, Michael. <laughs> yeah, it was a crazy game, and I thought quite a crazy approach by PSG, actually. It was almost like they underestimated Newcastle. They played four proper attackers. Uh, Zaire Emery pushing forward to join them to, to form a front five, but they just couldn't really get the ball forward to them. I thought it was quite interesting what happened at the start of the game. There was almost three acts in a, a little drama where... I think two minutes in, Marquinhos had the ball and was just he just put his foot on the ball and was kind of dragging it backwards, like stepping backwards, just tempting Newcastle to press. And Newcastle went, OK, we'll go for it. Press properly. <laughs> Anthony Gordon tackles Marquinhos on the byline, celebrates it like a goal. And then about 10 minutes later, Marquinhos has the ball, Gordon presses him again, gives the ball away and it's 1-0. And it was so many times when Newcastle just won the ball high up. I thought PSG's passing was really bad. And I don't think I've ever seen a team kind of use the crowd. So, I mean, or not for a long time anyway. I mean, every tackle, the players were literally just cheering. You know, at times mm. kind of pumping up the crowd and at times just genuinely celebrating it like a goal. It was a, I mean, it was a strange performance from PSG, I thought. I mean, for all the chat about them not having Messi and Neymar, mm. I think the absence of Verratti or the, or the loss of Verratti, they just don't have midfielders and defenders who are that comfortable in the ball in deep positions. And... They had lots of players in the final third. They just couldn't get the ball to them. Right. And Mbappe was a very, very quiet evening. PSG touched on some of the things they did wrong there. But what about Eddie Howe? What did he do right? Well, they were very brave. I mean, particularly with the way they pressed in midfield. They, you know, with PSG having four up front, I think it would have been tempting to move Guimaraes back just to be almost an extra spare man in front of the defence. But no, they pressed very aggressively in midfield. They showed PSG out wide. And I think we have to give Newcastle some credit because you look at the team and I mean, this is, they've got Dan Byrne and Longstaff and Lascelles and Pope and Murphy and Anthony Gordon, who, with all due respect, if they're playing for mid-table sides, you wouldn't say they were particularly at place. And yet they have just defeated PSG, who I know are often a bit of a laughing sort, but look good in their first Champions League game. They did play well. They absolutely played them off the park. Eight of the squad... For Newcastle Wednesday night, played in the championship in 2017. Three of the goal scorers were there before the takeover. And the other one was Dan Byrne. Yeah, and that's the thing. I think there's obviously huge, massive caveats around what's going on at Newcastle. But, I mean, on the field, Eddie Howe, that was a triumph of coaching against a team that have kind of ignored that concept for a long time, really, Mm. and have kind of relied on big names. And it just shows... I mean, you wonder whether that that atmosphere, how many times it can be replicated, because it was, I mean, only watching it on TV, but it was one of the most extraordinary looking and sounding things I've I've heard, I think. Dortmund are there next time. 
Rafa? Yeah, it won't be, won't be easy. Newcastle are incredibly awkward to play against because they're so organized and so energetic and so in your face. And I think Mike is right. Footballing-wise, there isn't that much individual quality, but as a collective, they, they make it work. And I think they're back to what we saw last season at the very best when they were beginning to suggest that this is something special emerging despite maybe you know a lack of stardust and the money being spent on on workers and on sort of decent squad players rather than superstars initially but even the ones they brought in like Gimaraish and Tenali and Isaac all played well but they're you know they're not sort of like super glamour signings are they that maybe a team you know like when City got their money they went out and bought Rubinho none of them are that so I think football managers have learned it's good Excellent. The Geordie boys, as the banner proclaimed before the game, and two local lads on the score sheet. Dan Byrne with the second goal and that agonising wait. He talked about that after <laughs> the seconds ticked by waiting for VAR to... It's funny people complaining about VAR taking a long time to check something, isn't it? Right. Like, eh. Extraordinary moments. Might be worth it. Quarter of a century on from that Barcelona win, is this an even bigger result for Newcastle? Very hard. Very different circumstances very different financial circumstances as well. It's not quite the fairy tale that we'd like it to be mm. because they got there with a massive shortcut and huge investment. And um, yeah, quite some questionable allegiances, shall we say. But yeah, of course, it's still, it's still a huge result. It comes against a team that have their own massive cash injection but have done much worse with it mm. over a longer period of time you might argue okay multiple french titles but that's not that big a deal no okay they're certainly not in line to win the title this season although it's a long way to go in the league one season they're off to the worst start since qsi came in they've only had three wins in in seven so far domestically remarkable stuff in the champions league meanwhile they are second to newcastle with uh, dortmund and milan Following up, Dortmund, bottom of the pile. Zero goals, one point. Okay. Milan, zero goals, two points. So, I mean, in the last group stage, as we know it, uh, I'm sure me and Michael both be keen for some weird group anomaly to happen. Uh, Milan getting through without scoring would be would definitely tick that box. Is it possible? Maybe. We'll and see. Newcastle once went through losing their first three, didn't they? Mm. Which is... Uh, Pretty unusual. Bellamy scoring at Ajax, final mm. PSV, one of them. They're at West Ham at the weekend. Last April, they visited the London Stadium. Were five-one winners. Do you see this euphoria, this momentum, taking them through that game as well? Uh, no, actually. Really? I, I, I feel <laughs> like this will be such a physical effort and such a big emotional thing. And I think West Ham have looked really good so far this mm. season. Whenever they've played them, so. They do have their own European fixture this this evening as we record. They do, but probably Freiburg. probably not as taxing, I would <laughs> expect. But let's wait and see. It does. I mean, Newcastle haven't started the season particularly well in the league. It does feel like they are one of those. They're in that perfect situation where the Champions League is just such a big deal for them that maybe they'll just put all their emotional energy and also their preparation on the training ground into those fixtures. Although they have have had an extraordinary run of results of late, a week before this game, beating Man City in the league. Oh, sorry, in the League Cup. In the the Cup, yeah. I missed that game. Maybe they they were brilliant. I don't know. Okay. 
But they certainly impressed you last night. Uh, we, we talked about Dan Burns' goal, about Miguel Amaron uh, with the opening one. What else? Uh, oh, Longstaff, of course. Mm. Rummer at fault with that one, probably a little bit. Mm, How's he only 24, by the way, Rummer. He's been playing for like a thousand years. But And then Fabian Scher at the end with yeah. a sort of sensible soccer style goal where you <laughs> do a tackle, go sideways and then sort of slip over. He's the Swiss model the Champions League needs. <laughs> Who else is going through from this group, do you think? Um, I'd still just about back PSG. You say who else, but I don't think Newcastle are destined. It's pretty. It's kind of pretty close. Really? As it is. Michael's yeah. also shaking his head. I mean, we need Dortmund to do something. What I mean, mean, I say we. I do. <laughs> Ideally. Okay. Well, the other game in Group F, as we mentioned, saw Dortmund and Milan drawing nil-nil. Only five shots on target from the two sides in that match. Elsewhere on Wednesday, Man City went to Leipzig. After their run of defeats, they were only 1-1 with about five minutes to go. But Julian Alvarez, who came on shortly before this, turned all that around. Scoring one, assisting another. Foden and Jeremy Doku also on the score sheet with Rico Lewis earning some pretty extraordinary plaudits after. And a big wow. 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 From Pep. We'll look at City later on. In that group, Red Star had a 2-2 draw with Young Boys. Royal Antwerp, in their first home game in the competition for 65 years, went 2-0 up against Shakhtar Donetsk and then lost 3-2. Barcelona got a narrow win away at Porto, 1-0. Featuring the youngest player ever to start a Champions League match, Rafa, but also the departure to injury of Robert Lewandowski. Yeah, I came off uh, limping in the first half and don't know how serious it is, but of course the Clásico is coming up at the end of the month. And they did look a little bit blunt without him. Of course, Ferran Torres, who came on, scored. Mm. And they created a couple of chances. But you feel that they've moved away so far from the force nine or having little players up front model that now having to possibly revert back to it to a certain extent might might be tricky for them. Okay. I mean, people going on about Yamal being super young. Well, you in seven years' time will be saying, how is he still only 23? Well, I don't know, well... He but, was 16 years and 83 days old yesterday. Yeah, but technically, Ferran Torres has only celebrated five birthdays. <laughs> <laughs> so, for me, that's younger. Because he's Very born nice. on the 29th, 29th of February, February 2000, right. yeah. Meanwhile, up in Glasgow, Lazio, who you will recall, had their keeper score a 95th-minute goal against Atletico Madrid on match day one, had another almost as unlikely 95th-minute header uh, at Celtic. It was Pedro this time, Pedro. Glaswegians haven't won a home game now since 2013 in the Champions League. Oh, here's a stat. Brendan Rodgers, of all the managers to have been in charge of at least 20 games in the Champions League, who has the worst record of all of them ever to have taken charge of at least 20 games in the Champions League? Oh, I think you kind of I've got a name gave, it, a with, here. gave it away <laughs> slightly. Is there a hint? <laughs> Is that a smell of mints? I can... Uh... Indeed. Two, two wins. I'm amazed that nobody else has only got two or fewer. Yeah, that surprised me. I thought someone who had just coached Olympiakos for a few yeah. years would be ahead of him or be behind they, him. They don't get that much time. No, that is true. Mm. I mean, yeah. that, that game featured a, one of the most shameful yellow cards, which is where you get it, but for taking his shirt off after scoring a goal, which is then disallowed. Oh, really? What, what happened there? Oh, I see. Right. Celtic, Celtic thought they'd gone 2-1 up mm. and it was a proper like shirt off. Knee slide almost, you know, looking to the heavens and then, oh, look, 
They are. Uh, that is desperately unfair, isn't it? I mean, if, some people would argue that if, if the goals disallowed, you should, yeah. you know, all subsequent events. Same way as the refs. We know that we know now. Refs can't turn back time. <laughs> but the offence is still taking place. Yeah. yeah, nipples have been exposed. Yeah, we had an undershirt on, so maybe right. that makes it even more mm. bad. All right. Well, that was Wednesday night in the Champions League. Tuesday night saw Naples exposed, funnily enough, in their three-two home defeat to Real Madrid, and it also saw. That Man United game. And if Newcastle's win was one end of the Champions League home game massive surprise spectrum, what happened against Galatasaray was probably the other. Hello, this is George Culkin. And this is Chris Woff. And we are the undoubted stars of the Athletics Newcastle United podcast, Pod on the Time. Now, ordinarily, a message like this would be read by our host, Taylor Payne. But as you might expect, he's in a ditch somewhere after Newcastle United absolutely pulverised Paris Saint-Germain in the Champions League. Join the three of us and adopted Geordie Jacob Whitehead twice a week as we bring you all the news and the highs and lows, that should probably be highs and highs, of following this crazy football club. Listen for free wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Davison Sanchez. Man United 2, Galatasaray 3. This was the Turkish side's first win in England in 11 attempts, their first ever at Old Trafford. Yet intriguingly, Rafa, in our pre-game predictions, for the whole match day, in fact, I think this was the only one that we all put down for a dead certain away win. Yeah, I don't know about that certain, but yeah, we, we I think, all felt that United uh, going into this on the back of another shambolic Premier League performance and injury problems might be ripe for the taking. Galatasaray had failed to score an away goal in the Champions League since 2015. <laughs> they got three here and missed a penalty as well. I'm shaking my head mm. in disbelief, but... Would you say that they weren't even that good Tuesday night at Old Trafford? I mean, for the first 20 minutes, yeah. United looked as if they might play them off the park. They scored a goal, they had real confidence, they moved well... Hoyland looked wonderful up front. There was a bit of zip in their game. Um, Mesbury got forward. Uh, Bruno Fernandes had some nice movement. Rashford looked alive. But as is often the case with this team, the moment things go against them, in this case an equaliser, all the, the confidence just completely evaporates. And it becomes almost a burden to, to be playing for, for the side and to be playing at home. And it just felt felt like mm, a did. game we've seen before yeah. for many years. It may see again. 
mention the equaliser. Wilfred Zaha! Wilfred Zaha! Yeah, Wilfred Zaha, but terrible defending okay. from Diego Dolot, who I I'm reliably well, huh? informed. Hmm? I, I thought he took it well. You know, his, uh, yeah, no, he took it well, but hmm. I mean, the, the ball's bouncing like a million times in your own box. And uh, Diego Dalot, who I was reliably informed was sold to United on, on the express wish of Jose Mourinho, who told him he'd be the best uh, fullback in Europe in the next 10 years. Okay. I thought it was interesting. Zaha did an interview after the game and was talking about that goal. And he said, yeah, I've, I've been told to kind of vary my game, not just dribble down the outside, but make runs inside. And I thought it seemed quite a basic thing. I mean, he never really used to do that kind of thing at Palace. It seems quite a basic thing to have learned kind of a decade into his career. And I just wonder whether being at Palace for almost his entire career kind of did just hold back like a really talented Stagnated player. Him. Yeah, you think of the managers he plays under. They're not, they're not managers who develop attacking players. They're managers who want certain things from attackers. I thought he varied his game by not falling over, actually, because the challenge was there. There was even a kind of hand wafted in his face, but he, he fought off Dallo magnificently and, uh, and, yeah, put them level. And then Hoyland struck again. An even better second goal. Yeah, right? fantastic goal. Wonderful goal. Um, mm. Very Haaland-esque, but possibly with a more technical finish mm. that Haaland tends to go for. Lovely little dink from, from high speed, which is the tricky thing, because... Uh, Easier to do it when you're a little bit less on the run, on the move. But yeah, but even then, even then, United looked shaky. And Galatasaray, I think, have enough experienced players to get that sense when a team is just not quite there. Mm. And defensively, United were, once again, absolutely all over the place. And if Casemiro is your holding midfielder... Mm. I think you're asking for trouble well, in 2023. Well, he will of course, uh, in match day three after what happened at 2-2. Onana passes out to his not-teammate, Dries Mertens, and Casemiro has to come running in, lunges, and, and off he goes as a red card and penalty for Galatasaray. Second Asheron. yellow, yeah. And Onana, how big a part did he play in uh, Tuesday's defeat again? Yeah, 33%, I'd say. <laughs> 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 um yeah, it doesn't help when your goalkeeper gives away massive goals at this level. He was at fault for probably a more important goal in Munich uh, because, again, United had started well and were probably the better side for the opening spell until that goal went in. Uh, this time, it uh, it killed off any sense of uh, a United comeback is the wrong word, but mm. uh, getting into the game more in the second half. And then, of course... They could have not just considered one, but two more. Right, at the, end. the penalty not converted, but then Onana beaten. Uh, questions uh, about that, I guess, as well by uh, Icardi for the third. Yeah, it was weird. I mean, do you remember that goal uh, West Ham scored at Old Trafford in the FA Cup, where Barthez attempted to trick De Canio by standing there with his hand up, sort of pretending it was offside, and, and it wasn't. It had sort of a slight air of that, like he just didn't. Re Onana didn't react. There's a weird stat about him this season. Since the start of last season, in fact, in Champions League, he's got the most clean sheets for any keeper with eight. Mm. But he's also the keeper that's considered three or more in a game most times in that period. He's done that four times. So it's like, it's either good or he's the very bad. It's the Goldilocks of the, yeah. Mm, yeah, nice. but I, yeah, yeah. I think uh, you, you make a very valid point, and just to clarify that, he wasn't ultimately at fault for losing the game mm. in this case, but it doesn't breed confidence when you're trying to build from the back and your goalkeeper who is not just supposedly, but I think 
in terms of uh, evidence, one of the best players when it comes to playing out from the back starts to have these lapses of concentrations. Uh, United have been terrific entertainment so far. 4-3 away in Munich and then 3-2 in this clash uh, in Manchester. What a shame they might not make it to springtime in the competition. They're bottom of the group. They've actually lost six of their last ten, or of all ten matches in competitions this season. Six yeah. of ten. Yeah, it's quite crazy. Um, they have a lot of injuries, uh, especially uh, the left-back position is a, is a big problem. Playing Amrabat there mm. <laughs> is um, yeah, it's a makeshift solution that perhaps adds more problems rather than solves them. Mm. Uh, his he positioning was... the first was ever left-back Libra in that game. <laughs> his positioning was quite ropey at times. <laughs> mm. And I think uh, United would be better served with him playing there, of course, in the absence of Casemiro, at least in the next game against Copenhagen. I'm sure we'll see him in this uh, more uh, orthodox position. But it just looks so flimsy. And that's what I think gets exposed at this level. All right. Uh, Michael, two words for you. Ralph Rangnick. Uh, FPL Banger Podcast says Man United's last coach, who's not doing too badly in his current job in charge of Austria, says minor fixes or said minor fixes weren't enough and they needed open heart surgery and it couldn't just be done by the manager alone. Was he right? And would they be better off right now if they'd stuck with Ralph? Well, they actually improved a lot last season. I mean, I thought Tenag did a brilliant job. I don't quite understand why it's gone so badly this time around. But certain things I don't... I mean, I agree with what Rafa says about Casemiro. And it seems like that... I mean, he's just not mobile enough to cover that much ground anymore. And you saw that not just for the red card when I thought he was put in a difficult situation, but the way that Arta Koglu ran off him for the second goal. But if you put Mason Mount alongside, I mean, Mount's, I don't think Mount's that kind of player at mm. all. So you're exacerbating the problem. If you put Mount alongside Rice or Rodri, for example, who can cover the ground, then I think it makes sense. But I, I don't really understand why it's gone so badly because there was a massive improvement at Manchester United last season under Ten Hag. I thought to get into the Champions League places was was very impressive, but they don't they just don't seem to be protecting the centre backs at all. The issue with the left back is is quite obvious. They haven't got any full backs really aside from Dallow, who played poorly. So I, I I'm slightly at a loss as to why Manchester United are so bad this season. Although I must say, when I've seen them play in the league, they've actually been all right. I thought they're all right against Tottenham and, and lost. They're all right against Arsenal. That game could have gone either way. And Palace last weekend they created loads of chances. But isn't that's the kind of the essence of football in some ways. I mean, you know, Newcastle got barely one XG but scored four times against PSG. And sometimes when, when the vibes are bad, it just happens that way. And, you know, like obviously the, the off-field stuff at United, both, you know, in the boardroom, but also literally in the sense that Galatasaray fans were, were all over Old Trafford, apparently. And there's been a, a lot of consternation about that. So it's just, it's not, compare that against Newcastle where I don't think there were any PSG fans apart from tucked up. Why, why was there such a fuss about that? Because I think it's an ongoing issue where tickets are getting sort of resold as sort of hospitality packages all right. over the place. So there were pockets of Galatasaray fans all over the ground, um, even in front of the director's box, apparently, and stuff. So it's, you know, that when you go back to United's heyday under Alex Ferguson, that would never have happened. And it's, it's become a... I don't know, it's just a weird scenario. <laughs> Ferguson would not have allowed that. Yeah, yeah, really I, mean, allowed I, I love how many, I think that's the most extreme. <laughs> it wouldn't have happened in Ferguson's day, yeah. I've heard so far. He, he managed those ticket sales <laughs> like, a, like an eagle. Man United currently bottom of the group after two games, so four to go. Not sure what the precedents are for teams. You mentioned Newcastle losing three and still getting through. But there's ample time to put this right, Raf. 
Yeah, and they've got Copenhagen in a doubleheader, which on paper should be the easiest games. But Although as Copenhagen, well, as both Galatasaray and Bayern found, they are hard to break down. But just before we go on to that, just a final word on on United. I think it shows you that good managers are not necessarily good judges of talent when it comes to transfers. There's a reason why that's sort of a specialist jobs and the best clubs have people who do that independent of the manager because he can't possibly know all the good players. And when you then get somebody who choosing only players he's already worked with or that are suggested maybe by some people that you know in the industry, it doesn't make for a very efficient way to spend the money. And there's a lot of money being spent in the last couple of years. And the incremental progress when it comes to individual quality of the whole team is still with, with the exception of Hoyland really mm. there's still not a lot there where you think wow this is top shelf of European football is Jane Sancho going back to the Bundesliga in January I don't know it depends on his possible rapprochement mm. with with uh, Ten Hag um, I think there is still a way back for him but yeah it's not an easy sell because Dortmund at the time really pampered him and did everything possible to keep him happy and to pay special attention to his punctuality and all these issues that were already there. And a lot of stuff was brushed under the carpet because Dortmund doesn't quite have the same media attention where everyone knows what everyone's doing any given moment. I don't think they'd be necessarily interested. And then where else would he go with the kind of wages that he commands? Um, you'd have to probably take a big hit or United subsidizing his wages if you were to go to, I don't know, Wolfsburg or... Mm. I, can't, I can't think of a club that would be a good fit for him. All right, not as easy. Tottenham. Yeah? He'll just go there and, and Postacoglu will just say, mm. like, oh, he's just a bloke who needs to enjoy his football, mate. Mate. And, uh, and everyone will go, that's exactly what Sancho needs. Back in London as well. Yeah. Genuinely, I, I, I think that would work. I think he yeah. could play on either side. For them. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Man United season, which, as we've detailed, is historically bad. <laughs> is it going to get worse this weekend? They are hosting Brentford, who who haven't won at Old Trafford since. Anybody? 1937. Correct, Raphael Honigstein. <laughs> you came correct. Very nice. Uh, also on Tuesday in Champions League land, as I mentioned, Real Madrid beating Napoli 3-2. Speaking of... English players who've shone in the Bundesliga, Jude Bellingham. A joke, you called him on the goal show, in a nice way. Yeah, in a, in a very nice, in the best possible way. Did I have any doubt that he'd succeed at Real Madrid? Not really. Did I think he'd become the, most, the single most important player in this team in the space of two months? Definitely not. Uh, did I think he'd score these goals? Definitely not. Just shows you how some people get to a challenge and instead of being cowed by it or intimidated, they grow and become even even better. And he is that kind of guy. Um, there was a, in hindsight, quite funny article in Sportbilt saying some players don't be quite happy that he's gone because he was always wanting the ball and he was like hard work and um, his body language wasn't right. And can understand all that because he had completely outgrown this team and you could see what he's doing at Real Madrid at a, at a much higher level. Super impressive. Mm. Would Dortmund be re retiring his shirt as well? Doubt it very much. <laughs> OK. There you go. He scored one, assisted another, and the third goal, an absolute screamer from Valverde. 
Uh, in that group, Union Berlin lost. Well, on goal. Oh, yeah, because it went back mm. off, uh, off the keeper. Yeah. And it was deflected as well. Oh, yeah, it took a little touch on the way. It was gutting. Because, mm. I mean, that was such a good hit. Yeah. It's a bit like the... Um, Did you see DeMarco's the other day for Inter? Midweek game... No. Okay. It's a bit like Luis, was it Luis Figo against England? Yeah, yeah, with his Tony Adams' thigh. Mm. It, it's really annoying when that happens. Could I give a quick shout-out to Luka Modric as well? Yeah. Who, just towards the end of that game, he's 38 now, and he's still so good on the ball. He's so good at evading challenges. His passing is so good. I mean, he was part of that Croatia team who beat England to deny them a place at Euro 2008. That's, that's so long ago. And he was pretty much the same player then as he is now. He's he's just still so good. I was, I mean, the, the previous Real Madrid game I saw was uh, when they lost to Atletico, and they were all over the shop. So I was just quite pleased to see him looking really good again because I feared he was on his last legs. But maybe that, just to go back to the age thing, he's older than Wayne Rooney, so he's, he's doing well. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's extraordinary. In Real Madrid's group. Union Berlin, once again, last-minute heartbreak after the 95th-minute Real Madrid winner from Jude Bellingham on match day one. This time around, it was Braga who beat them 3-2, came from behind to beat them 3-2 after being 2-0 down, wasn't it, Rafa, from Union, in Union's first home game in the Champions League ever. I mean, it wasn't at their home, but they they had a lot of their fans there. No pockets of Braga supporters. Well, Braga. I think 300, to, yeah. 300, apparently. Okay. Well, one pocket. Then. Like Sparta. Braga allowed to host games even though they've only got two stands. Yeah. Right. Scandalous. Yeah. UEFA stadium infrastructure regulations. Place. Go figure. As the banner, I think, if my German's correct, said. Yes. The, um, yeah. But it needs to be clarified if you're really interested in this subject, James, mm. that uh, UEFA didn't make Union play at Hertha. Right. But the regulations would have been that even the 16,000 would have been probably come down to like 13 or 14, all the space that UEFA demanded for big, sponsors, The big advertising hoardings. Exactly. Mm. And that's why Union very quickly decided to go for the much more financially lucrative option, which is to fill the Olympiastadion. They had a red um, carpet mm. on the track. Mm. They had red lights. Nice. They had lots of banners. Mm. But um, once again, they got unlucky. They six, played much better, though. Six straight defeats. Sasso Heino asking, what's happened to Union Berlin? Is this just a blip or is this the end of their glory days? I don't think it's the end of their glory days. They're still in the Champions League. They're still in the Bundesliga. And I don't think they, they'll get relegated. So, hmm. yeah, it's a, it's a tricky, tricky spell. It won't get easier because they're going to Dortmund at the weekend. Right. So it could well be seven defeats in a row. Wow. But I don't think there's any... Thing fundamentally wrong with this team. They, okay. they should have won. Elsewhere, on Tuesday, Real Sociedad continued their excellent start with a 2-0 win at Red Bull Salzburg. And Inter beat Benfica. Uh, 1-0 at San Siro. Max Turam, the scorer. What an excellent season he's having. Oh, yes. And Arsenal went to Lens, who two weeks ago were bottom of Ligue 1, took the lead through Gabriel Jesus. And then what happened? There was a comeback courtesy of a couple of fantastic goals. Hmm. I thought this, I only saw the highlights of this, but I thought this was a fantastic game to watch. Great atmosphere. Everything about it was brilliant. Yeah, Lons refused to lie down and, and, and accept this. They lost focus. Yes. Lons. Yeah, nice. And they, I mean, they were in the second tier four years ago. 
they only got promoted really because the season ended early because of COVID. France didn't play on, they just called it a day. And they were one point ahead of third place at the moment the season was called off. And they play brilliant football. They've got a number of really good players. They lost one of their best players in the summer to Leipzig, the guy who scored. Oh, Penda. Oh, Penda. Oh, yeah, Luis Openda, yeah. And they've, they've adjusted really well. And some of the goals, the first finish I thought was remarkable from Thomason. And the lad, I, I've actually never heard of him before, but the right wing back, Frankowski, was absolutely sensational. I thought it was... This was a proper Champions League game. And we, we go back to what we said earlier that, you know, often the group stage is a bit predictable, but this one's been really good. This was great. This was just exactly what the Champions League should be. A team who hadn't been in the Champions League for about 25 years against an English team. I know one who haven't been in the Champions League for a few years themselves, but problem with European football at the moment is English teams, part of the problem is English teams are too dominant. So to have them losing to just a really well-coached, up-and-coming side. I thought it was a, a fantastic... Oh, it seemed a fantastic game. I only saw the highlights. I wish I'd watched the, no, the I, I mean, we, we were dipping in and out on the goals show, but it was quite quite the story. Uh, Gabriel Jesus opening the scoring for Arsenal, who then lost Bukayo Saka on what was a potentially costly night for them. Is he going to be fit for Sunday in Man City? It's not looking good, no, apparently. No, it doesn't look like it. And that was the third game in a row he'd been substituted injured, which is just... I mean, Arsenal kind of kind of ruined their title bid last season by getting players injured in the Europa League, and it just seems unnecessary that he played in that game. Oh. Can't turn back the clock, as we've discovered this week. The thing is, you say it's unnecessary, but it's also that their bench isn't that, that good. Can't really rest too many of their star players. True, but then now... They've got to face Manchester City. No, no, no. Of course. I, I, and also, I think it's chicken and egg, isn't it? Because the fact they didn't rotate at all last year means that someone like Smith Rowe has just had no game time. He hasn't developed in 18 months. And then instead of rotating him into the side gradually, they might have to call on him in a big game. Indeed. We'll talk more about that big game later on. Uh, next up, we'll clear up a couple of other things that happen away from the Champions League midweek. Hi, Joachim Valera here. Listen to me on the Athletic Football Podcast where I've just been talking to Andy Mitten and Mark Critchley about how Manchester United get Marcus Rashford backfiring and also, are they asking too much from him? Available now on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places. Just search the Athletic Football Podcast now. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. 
You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson, the Sports Podcast Awards Soccer Podcast of the Year. Away from the Champions League midweek, Duncan. Mm. You saw Wickham losing against Portsmouth. I did, yeah. yeah. Portsmouth looked quite good for people that enjoy knowing how teams that crash out the Premier League in the early 2010s are doing. Yeah, yeah. Always nice to know. Uh, good news for Southend and Scunthorpe. There were also wins uh, for Chelsea and Burnley in the Premier League. Oh, and FIFA casually dropped that World Cup news. Plus, the phrase, well done, boys, good process, became enshrined in national folklore. It entered the national banter charts at number one. It's a bit mugs. like the chicken song from Spitting Image. It'll just kind of stick around. There. Yeah, I think so. How many times have you used it? Come on, hands up. Uh, not yet. I'd say six or seven. It's, yeah. it's Hall good. Hallcastle was doing it six or seven times. Yeah, it was actually. <laughs> yeah. But it's very useful because it's, it's so kind of vague. You can apply it to anything, really. Yeah, it's the new keep calm and carry on, surely. Yeah. Or this doesn't slip was a bit of a, yeah, a yeah, thing. This yeah, this doesn't slip. We go again. We go again. That's the one that stayed with mm. me. Yeah. Which, as, uh, as our colleague uh, Joey Durso points out, was actually used after a win, wasn't it? Mm. But people exclusive because I think people get it mixed up with the slip. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So they say it when something bad's happened. They say we go again. But mm. actually, but it was part. Was yeah. it not part of the same pet talk ahead of the Crystal Palace game? No, ahead of the. No, no it was it after, was after, after the, the City game. game. Yeah. Oh, okay. Ahead of going? Norwich. Yeah. I think. Mm. Anyway, this latest phrase comes after Pogmore released the audio of that disallowed Deer's goal. Magnificent bit of audio, no? Mm. I would like th- all these um, all or nothing documentaries they make. Let's have one about the Pogmore boys, Ollie, Daz, the <laughs> others. It just, I think it does a big service to, to the national discourse because yeah. people are quick to think that there are big conspiracies and clever people manipulate everything. And then whenever you actually look behind the curtain, right. you see the amount of incompetence Unless and just not things making. Curtain, it could be a puppet show. Stuff enacted by the people are just making up stuff on the goal because they're covering their asses, and this is what happens every single time. I mean, it it had that perfect sense, it's a couple of minutes long, and and you know what's going to happen, but you can just feel the tension rise, and then just that moment where they all realize they've made a pretty bad well, one of them has known all along, I think, though. Yeah, the replay operator. What a a legend! Do we Um, know anything more about him? Has anyone doorstepped him yet? Dutch IT guy or something. Is he? Yeah. He was the only guy who knew what was going on. The others. Well, he spotted all... it first. He spotted that Spurs had, had restarted the game with a free kick. And, right. And <laughs> a bit of a the... giveaway. Yeah. And it was just. I mean, you can kind of see why Darren England doubled down on on the protocol of you know you can't ch- you can't stop the game at that point. Technically. Why not? If you well, can but... stop the game and and go back, which you do often for VAR. <laughs> You know, you can go back if the ball's still in play. Yeah, and yeah then but if you can go back, you can go back. Yeah, but, it, well, I think that might have been the best solution to do, but he followed the, the letter of the law. So, uh, Esben S. Titland, hello to you, said, uh, did you see how the officials in Bodo glimped against Storms, God said, went back and allowed a disallowed goal off to kick off on Sunday? I missed well, that, that one. Was good process, good use of the phrase, Esben. Yeah. Well, that, was, that would have been bad process, I guess. I mean, depends on your point of view. Jurgen Klopp suggests the game should be replayed. I, I'm going to say on that, take a place in the queue, Jurgen, because presumably there are well, loads of other teams, some of whom have had injustices against Liverpool, who would like their games to be repeated yeah. because they were great. I would point out that on the first ever day of league football in England in 1888, 
none of the games kicked off on time. So my theory is we just go back, we cancel everything that's ever happened, and then we just because start again. Because they didn't again. kick off on time. Yeah, it, 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 made, it was a farce. What do, you mean, what do you mean none of them kicked off on time? They all kicked off at random times. They were supposed to kick off at 2 Oh, you mean they didn't all kick off at the same time? Not they, that they were all delayed. No, they were supposed to start at 2, but some started like half past. That's why there was a big confusion for years over who ever scored the first ever goal in league oh, really? football because they, they couldn't really work it out very well. And why was that? Because like, yeah, timepieces weren't reliable? I don't know. A train didn't arrive or the ref had to invade. Plus a change. But let's just cancel everything and go and restart. I'm with you. So the first match day one was supposed to kick off all the same time. Yeah. Because I read somewhere that it's only because of newspaper pressure at the time, the leading medium, they, they wanted games to kick off all at the same time so they didn't have to print later editions. Well, they used to write the league table out, so it would have been annoying to have to update that, I imagine. Mm. So what time were they scheduled to kick off? It was two, but then it was they were really? all between so like two and three. So yeah. People could watch the first half on TV and then... <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, Amazing. I don't think Klopp really yeah. sort of Asked for a replay. Okay. He said the fairest thing. He, he, he qualified it by saying, I'm speaking as an individual rather than a football mm. manager. But of course, you can't quite opt out of the fact that he's sitting at a Liverpool press conference yeah. with a Liverpool logo <laughs> and will be, will be taken at his word. But uh, Liverpool as a club did not, we should clarify, did not ask for a, for I mean, a replay, thinking enough, that it, there's no point. At The Athletic, we put out a big call this week for fans of all clubs to send in their you know, the incidents where their club had been wrong, wronged and incidents where their club had got away with it. And oh, yeah. everyone had lots of examples of both. So I think, you know. Yeah. Mm. This, these this might sound a tad controversial, but I think that this whole incident shows you how well VAR actually works. Because <laughs> to have a... <laughs> bear with me. Well, to, have a, to have an offside decision so yeah. wrong which before VAR would have happened all the time because it was given wrong to begin with. Yes, yes. We don't get offside goals, any, offside goals anymore, by and large. They've gone out of the game because of VAR. Right. Nobody talks about it because it was just kind of, yeah, so of course, VAR is checking offside and there's no offside yeah, goal. Yeah, to back wrap up on this, I was also on the clip. Mm. I was quite impressed until they got it massively wrong. I was quite impressed with the process. You know, it was quite smooth. They, right. they put those lines yeah. on, they slipped Shiny them up. Machines. Then yeah. they made a massive error. The process yeah. was but good. The yeah, process, just, they the they process. see a conclusion... <laughs> It's good and sit Raphael Honig standing. No, no, only, the, the process yeah. of finding so, the right moment I'm gonna, of... I'm just going to... Okay, we're not going to change anybody's mind in here probably to, today. And, and, and I don't think we want a, a VAR chat. I respect your opinion. I would qualify your comment, he said, saying after saying that we weren't going to have a VAR chat and throwing a little bit extra in. Some of those offside rules that you say, I don't think morally are offside. If you know what I mean. You see morally stuff that's offside. so... You see great goals disallowed because of some... Uh, technicality about where it's a, they it's chose a geometric the decision. It's not. It's, it's not, not geometric. It's moral. It's moral. It's anyway, anyway, anyway. It. I, I actually completely agree with that. Do you? Yeah. yeah. Good. When you have someone running back and their stud is offside. Yeah. Or their shoulder. Or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what's next? Morally, it's only a goal if no, it hits the backwards. back of the net. We it's not enough to be over the line. Yeah. If it deflects. Well, you got uh, uh, you got the automatic stuff. Let's bring that in, as they have in the Champions League. Anyway, you know what else? The ones where no one's appealed. Yes. I, I think that is what you mean, right? Sorry? Where like no one even well, suspected it peeing. was offside. Yeah. You know, that those goals are, I just, just let them stand. Yeah. Uh, or if you're going to keep VAR, give us the VAR All or Nothing uh, Netflix series because uh, I, for one, really want to follow the continued adventures of the boys in Stockley Park. No, but I'm sorry, to... but I really think it's a point worth making because okay. people, <laughs> you would use, people use their sh**. Sorry. Yeah. 
over offside decisions yeah. all the time. Yeah. And at least that thing, by and large, yeah. we've been able to deal with it. There's still lots of other stuff that people get. But it's not like, yeah, it's like the cat in the hat where he comes in to sort out one spot and ends up with four spots. Tries to sort out those four spots, you got No, it's not like that. You got endless delays to games. Park doing a better job than Darren England. It was offside. It was offside. I think it's just more like the modern condition, you know. The Wi-Fi works Yes. and nobody would talk about it. The moment the Wi-Fi goes down for five minutes, people call up and say, this is, you know, this is a disaster. Where's my Wi-Fi? Well, you win that argument, Rafa. Thank you, James. Okay. You just me, want to move on, don't meanwhile you? Meanwhile, in the Premier well, League. Well, the thing about technology is if you have it in football, what are we going to talk about? There'll be no controversies, will there? That's what people said five That's years ago. That's what they ago. said. And yet five, five days later, yeah. we're just talking about an offside goal, yeah. which happened all the time before. All the like time. Like when Danny Baker said there'd be no more own goals after the back pass rule came in. Did he say that? Mm. I don't think so. Uh, two <laughs> Premier League games. <laughs> really? That's a, Chelsea that's a won 2-0 at Fulham. <laughs> And Burnley 2-1 at Luton. Burnley 2-1 at Luton. Did anyone see this on Tuesday? Sounds dramatic. What reports have we had from Kenilworth Road? There was a lovely goal from Lyle Foster, apparently. Then, in the 84th minute, Elijah Adebayo equalised. Kenilworth Road erupts because they're back on terms. But, oh, my word, 65 seconds later, uh, Jakob Brun Larsson has restored Burnley's lead and they take their first win they're now on four points they are one of four teams separated by just one point either side of the dotted line they're going to be hosting Chelsea this weekend who beat Fulham on Monday with hello first goal from Mikhail Mudrik and also Amanda Breuer scoring nice they'd gone 47 shots without a goal in the Premier League Chelsea they got two here in the space of 82 seconds so hmm Stephen Taylor says, with all the talk of recordings and replays, can we spare a moment for the news of successful takeovers at Scunthorpe and Southend? The stuff, says Stephen, that actually matters. Neither side out of the woods yet, but a glimpse of better times. So National League Southend United, less than 24 hours, in fact, before they were due to be wound up in high court over unpaid taxes, uh, had a takeover agreed by an Australian-led consortium. Tuesday, in fact, they were playing what fans thought was going to be their last ever game. The news came through. They duly won it against Oxford City 2-0. They've had 10 points dot by the National League for failing to clear their debts. Anyway, so yeah, not out of the woods yet, but uh, great news, as it is for Scunthorpe, whose 72-year spell in the Football League uh, came to an end the season before last. They're now in the sixth tier, the National League North. They'd had to have fundraisers from fans to help uh, pay unpaid staff. Supporters had uh, put together more than £50,000 to cover the missing wages after David Hilton withdrew all funding last week. Local businesswoman Michelle Harness, who was previously on the board, has completed a takeover. Woof. Uh, Wednesday, out of nowhere, FIFA suddenly go, oh yeah, by the way, World Cup 2030, usually it's a big deal when we make our announcements about host nations, suddenly drop this, this bombshell. It's going to be six different countries hosting, three continents involved. The bulk of it, though, in Morocco, Portugal and Spain, this 48-team tournament. Rafa, how did this suddenly get sprung on us? Well, I think increasingly what happens is because these tournaments are so big that no country by themselves, or almost no country by themselves, want to take on the burden of organising them. So you then you have alliances, and then you have alliances across continents to double your uh, ability to get the votes necessary to, to get it. Once you have that, then you take away from this very adversarial process you used to have with rivaling bids to a more 
a kind of structured approach where FIFA says, okay, one year you go, th- we'll go there, and mm. then you know don't even bother uh, bidding because in four years' time we go there. And in a way, it does kind of make sense for me um, to do it that way than rather than having five countries spending millions and millions of, uh, of pounds to get a vote. But at the same time, of course, it sends a pretty bad message uh, in times of uh, climate emergency. And it won't create much by way of the tournament sort of atmosphere mm. that we, I think, all crave a little bit. But there's, there's two separate things here, really, yeah. aren't there? I mean, this, the concept of Spain, Portugal, Morocco, I don't think anyone's got that many issues with, right? right? I mean, they're neighbouring countries. Mm. Spain's got a couple of enclaves in Morocco. Mm. Morocco famously bid for about five World Cups mm. over the last few decades. And we're one of the stories of the last one. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think in different ways, there'll be three really good hosts. Yeah. But the idea of this South American, I mean, there's only going to be three games yes. there. Second like add-on. Yeah, the first three games. The first three games, but it's a bit like the Tour de France when they do the first stage, (laughs) perhaps in. uh, Well, it is a little bit. Yeah, but they don't do the first stage of the Tour de France in South America. No, they don't. Not yet. Yet. Uh, Colombia one would actually be quite. That would be amazing. But to the point. Yeah. I don't understand why this feeling has built up over the last decade or so that Argentina and Uruguay should be able to host the 2030 tournament right. just because of what happened 100 years ago. Right. There's so many things that factor into a decision of where to host a tournament. Right. I don't think hashtag not... on this day really <laughs> plays much of a part. <laughs> and, and, and just one last thing. How on earth Paraguay have got involved? Because yeah, they weren't in the final in 1930. I gather the Comable headquarters is in Paraguay. Well, who gives a toss nice about that? That might have something to do with the decision. I mean... I, just, to just get rid of those three games and, and the, the Spain-Portugal-Morocco thing yeah. is absolutely fine. To Raf's point about the climate emergency, obviously in the, the first World Cup in 1930, all the teams travelled by boat, boat and some teams refused to play in it because they didn't want to travel by boat. So maybe that, that's the that's solution. But who knows what amazing technology will be uh, in place to ferry people around at net zero. Uh, however, as you also, say... Also, I think the more controversial part of this, perhaps, mm. is the, the fact that FIFA have very clearly signposted that uh, the doors are very much open for Saudi Arabia for 2034 because they've already said only Asian and Oceanic uh, federations can bid. I think Australia will try again because they lost out in 2022. Well, I've just been to a World Cup that was in partly an Asian confederation, partly an Oceanic confederation, and it was brilliantly organised. So hopefully Australia will pip Saudi Arabia to the post, but... Australia and New Zealand, I should say. This, we should uh, also this is going to be decided next year, by the way. They're going to announce that. Mm. So we're going to know soon. This, this current plan still needs to be confirmed in a vote. Uh, sorry, Michael. We should also point out that this week is almost all but confirmed that the UK and Ireland will host Euro 2028, which is pretty exciting for those of us who live. And again, yeah. UEFA did a sort of a deal um, because the one after, I think, will be Italy and Turkey. Mm. I think I'm right in saying that. Mm. I think next year's uh, Euros might well be the only single nation big tournament that we'll have for many for many decades. Unless Saudi Arabia win the next World Cup. Unless Saudi Arabia will go it alone, but mm. I think even they might to get somebody really? else involved. Qatar did it. Surely they'll be. Yeah, but they'll be much expanded by then. Mm. And it's such a normal tournament hosting that after Russia and Qatar and the cross-country Euros thing, I think people almost forget where it is. Because the, we're so, the one in Germany. The one in Germany, because we're so used to years and years of discussion about how on earth is this going to work. Yeah. Actually, just hosting it in a yeah. 
you know, even the last few years was that weird yeah. pan-continental thing. One mm. country with great infrastructure and lots of football stadiums and a football culture. Mad. Mad. Game's gone. All right, next up, let's belatedly address some key points about the Premier League weekend featuring my stat of the season. Hi everyone, David Ornstein here, and I want to tell you about The Athletic's new bite-sized podcast, The Daily Football Briefing. If you're one of those people who are just too busy for a regular-length podcast in the morning, this is right up your street. In just over 10 minutes, we'll bring you bang up to date with the biggest stories in football, all before you've finished your first coffee of the day. It'll be Matt Slater on a club's ongoing takeover saga, our club experts reflecting on big overnight matches, and let's be honest, me, explaining those transfer stories that just won't go away. That's the Daily Football Briefing, every weekday morning, available wherever you get your podcasts. We're sponsored for this episode of the Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. This is The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Premier League this weekend gets underway Saturday lunchtime with Luton Spurs at three o'clock. Have some Burnley Chelsea, Fulham Sheffield United and another big game down the bottom, Everton against Bournemouth. Also, Man United face Brentford. At 5.30, it's Crystal Palace, Nottingham Forest. Then on Sunday, Brighton against Liverpool is at two o'clock and it's on the telly. At the same time, West Ham take on Newcastle and Wolves are up against Villa. Only Man City have taken more points over the last 20 games than Aston Villa. However, the villains have only won one of their last eight meetings with Wolves. Hmm. At 4.30, boom, Arsenal Man City. Man City who are one point ahead of Arsenal and Spurs with Liverpool, of course, two points off the top. That opening game then, Spurs visiting Luton, 12.30 Saturday, a victory for Tottenham will take them on top of the table until Sunday at least. Duncan, is that rare? Yes, it is. They've spent in the Premier League history, Spurs have spent 72 days on top of the Premier League, which okay. is not a lot. When you know that Norwich have had 129, they've got work so to do. So they've been on top of the Premier League table less than Norwich. Yeah. So they Almost keep... half, half as much-ish. Yeah, just about. Yeah. That's extraordinary. They've not dominated the top of the table, but I mean, they could Norwich. go... Norwich? Well, Norwich have done it more than Spurs, as, as mentioned, but um, I mean, Spurs... They could go top this weekend, and you could see them staying there for a, for a little well, while. Well, yeah, because if it's a draw Sunday mm. between Arsenal and Man City, you've got the international break after, and 
Spurs racking up those days in When you say how many days, is that match days or the No, it's physical calendar days. So if you're if so Spurs would get like twenty one days or something like that. Yeah, because yeah. it's an international break. So the, yeah, that's the trick, isn't it? Yeah. Do it just yeah. time break. it right. It's like how yeah. Portsmouth have had the FA Cup for ages. Yeah, it's calendar farming. Oh yeah, nice. Yeah, Portugal had five years of being European champions. Yeah, remarkable. Mm. By the way, this is Spurs' first trip to Kenilworth Road since March 1992. The last three games between these teams there have all finished nil-nil, which means that the last player to actually score in this fixture. At Kenilworth Road. Mm. Do you know who it was? Paul Gazza Gascoigne. It was Paul Gazza Gascoigne, a lovely goal. Really good goal. Gascoigne. He's got players right and left. Gascoigne doesn't need them. Can he finish it now? He can. A fantastic goal by Paul Gascoigne. The most kind of in your mind's eye archetypal Paul Gascoigne goal. He runs through, knocks the ball way too far ahead of him. But no one goes near him because it's well. He, he bounces ages. off a couple of. Well, but then he does that. He does that shimmy where he's got yeah. two players closing in, and he kind of does that little shimmy weave between them, and then kind of drops the shoulders to the keeper and, and puts it in. But presumably, Ange Postacoglu, as a Liverpool fan back in the day, hates Luton because Central called Luton lost. Uh, Liverpool lost away at Kenilworth Road on the plastic pitch a lot, so he'll be delighted to see Bedfordshire grass when yeah. he gets there at the weekend. Mm. All right. Speaking of Liverpool, meanwhile, I mentioned their game away at Brighton Sunday 2 o'clock. That's on the telly. And I think that's one of the standout fixtures of this weekend, you'd think. Both teams involved in Thursday night action. Who knows how they'll be after those games in the Europa and Conference Leagues. Mm. Can Liverpool have enough players? (laughs) All those Mm. players that they were sent off. De Zerbi is unbeaten in three matches against Liverpool. I know you're not a fan of previews, Michael, so we'll skip past that. We'll <laughs> say it looks entertaining. Maybe tune in Should 2 o'clock. Should be a game. Yeah, and we'll review it Sunday afternoon when we get together for another Totally Football show. But how about we do have a little bit of a look ahead to the game that follows that on Sunday, which is Arsenal-Man City. Now, you mentioned at the start that you're doing a thing on title six-pointers. Is this one, Michael? Is this? Not sure. I think it's probably more complex because Liverpool have started the season very well. Tottenham have started the season very well. So I think it could be two of those four. I can't really see anyone else challenging at this point. But I think after what happened last year, yeah, it's, it, it, to me it now feels like the big game uh, because they were decisive last year. They played each other in the FA Cup, played each other in the Community Shield. Obviously, there's a lot of links between the clubs in terms of the managers, in terms of Gabriel Jesus, Zinchenko. So yeah, this is... I think for me, the one that I would uh, circle first in my in my calendar at the start of the season, Arsenal City feels feels pretty big now. Okay, they did beat them on penalties in the Community Shield at the start of the season, but apart from that, City are Arsenal's bogey team. They've won their last twelve Premier League meetings with the Gunners. That's the biggest losing streak against anyone that Arsenal have ever suffered. Do you think City can be a bogey team? Why not? Well, because they're just really good. Uh-huh. I, I feel like bogey team has to be like. You know, Man United against Palace or something mm. like that. Okay, it's a team you don't think about, yeah. but then you go, you see them. That's the next game. Like, oh, we always lose. Against Sorry, this is a, going a little bit for cliches podcast. I appreciate with that no, kind that's of question. Fair. That's fair, but it's, it, it's a I great mean, place to be. The statistic is mm. is personal. I think. I mean, they just haven't they just haven't played well. I don't think in in those games against City last year. I think mm. Arsenal looked quite surprised by some of City's tactics, particularly how often they played quite long direct 
balls, which I must say, after the Champions League, just all those Champions League games in midweek, number of goals from conceding possession on the edge of their own box. You know, it is interesting that Guardiola wants City to just go long in against good pressing teams. I think they will again. Maybe he's just playing an incredibly long game, literally, where he's convinced everyone that playing out from the back is the way and then wait until everyone messes up and they're just going to drum back their yeah, way to a yeah. team. Play four centre-backs and a big lump up front. Yeah, yeah. Route one. They won't be playing Rodri, of course, as he serves his last game of that three-match suspension. They have lost two straight without him. Arsenal, we mentioned the absences that they probably will have. Saka and Martinelli amongst others. What do you think? You saw City midweek. That was with Rodri. We've seen City without the Newcastle game and against Wolves at the weekend, most surprisingly. I mean, he is hugely important. I don't think I'm telling anyone any uh, earth-shattering news there. But, you know, Leipzig, they tried to mark him out of the game. They they put, I think, Paulsen mostly in front of him just to screen that ball. But then Rico Lewis just picks up the ball and runs the game and it's just incredible. And, once you get it to Bernardo, who never loses the ball and brings in others and was quite sensational, really, uh, as a sort of right-sided number 10 and could do whatever he wanted. The depth in this team, despite their injuries, despite the fact that their midfield is probably as thin as it has been since Guardiola has, has come in there. No Rodri in this game, no Kevin De Bruyne. I'm still thinking of Gundogan as a player that somehow should be there, mm. even though he's moved on. But it doesn't seem to matter all that much because they have Julian Alvarez, who doesn't even make make the starting eleven occasionally, and they have Erling Haaland, who's not scoring at the moment, but does so much for everyone else. I think once again, City will be favourites to win this game. Are we going to see Rico Lewis again? And why did he get Guardiola and Archer into cooing? Because he was incredible. He picked up the ball in really tight spaces. He moved through players. He had a real nice eye for for what's happening around him. He set up that first goal from Foden with a lovely cutback, uh, improvised almost, but knowing that this is going to be the space where Foden or somebody else will, will appear in. Nearly scored an incredible goal himself. He took the ball on the turn, couldn't quite finish it. Uh, for an 18-year-old, against a really tough very hard tackling midfield that Leipzig have and Schlager and uh, and Seiwald and one or two people coming in as well from wide areas. It was very, very impressive. And I think he's given Guardiola a nice selection problem to deal with. I thought um, Kovacic last week against Wolves was really poor as the Rodri replacement. He just kept on yeah. conceding possession and allowing Wolves to counter. So I don't think they can play that way again. I think he'll be... Just I lacks mobility a bit, mm, doesn't he? He does. I think either Rico Lewis could play again or I think Bernardo could play very deep. He's done that against Arsenal before. He's played him almost. He's been collecting the ball between the centre-backs right. just to give more stability in, in that position. Like Rafa says, he doesn't lose the ball. Okay, But I'm they can't yeah, They can't just play Kovacic hit there again. What about Calvin Phillips? I must be honest, I've never, I've never really got Calvin Phillips. I mean, enough people have said how good he was at Leeds to think that probably I'm wrong, but I just never saw him as this great deep lying passer that everyone seemed to see the best I've seen him play was actually in the Euros for England when he played more as a box to box midfielder so I mean Guardiola doesn't seem to have given him too many opportunities so I can't see him starting this one it might be a key game in the start race or might not but who's the favourite then Duncan I'd have said if Saka hadn't got injured then I'd have probably made Arsenal slight favourites given that they 
did sort of show up in the community shield with the caveat that it was a community shield. Mm. You know, I think I think the thing with this fixture is it's quite exciting in the sense that most games, like even with Michael's thing about old title races, when United and Arsenal played each other in the late 90s, early 2000s, you kind of knew how they were going to play. It was just who was going to come out top on that day. Whereas these games are really sort of, you don't know what the manager's going to have up his sleeve. You know, like City went direct at the Emirates last season. That was sort of the start of them doing that. So it'd be interesting to see if either or both come up with some madcap plan on Sunday. And how how important is it to beat your title rivals in terms of actually winning the title? Well, it's quite rare um, for what happened last season to be the situation. 31 seasons, only six times the champions have done the double over the runners-up. Curiously, when that does happen, it tends to be when there's quite a, a fine margin between the teams. It's almost like there's a reverse correlation between being dominant against everyone else in the league and being dominant against the second place team. But I mean, there are there have been three instances where the reverse has happened, where that you've lost to a team but still gone on to beat them. Well, three times the runners-up have done the double over the champions, right? Um, but obviously, it hasn't been enough to, uh, to where overturn were they, the gap. Michael? Blackburn lost twice to Manchester United in ninety four ninety five. Manchester United lost twice to. Liverpool in 2008-9 and Leicester. Leicester. Lost twice to Arsenal right. in 2015-16, which means from the other games, Leicester collected 16 more points than Arsenal. I mean, that's just absolutely mad, isn't it? Because if you remember that season, Arsenal beat Leicester on Valentine's Day, I think, yeah. and they did that big selfie in the dressing room and uh, it looked like everyone was like, well, that's kind of well done, Leicester, but that's the end of the run. And it wasn't. I can't remember specifically, but was it actually a selfie or was it just a picture? Will, yeah, you're right. It's one of those pictures everyone mm. says is a selfie, but it's just a photograph. Just a <laughs> conventional photograph. Yeah, of, yeah. of some men. But that's it. the interesting thing, isn't it? And I don't know if you can measure the, 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 the score effect, if you will, of not just picking up the points, but uh, having momentum or having a bit of a psychological boost from, from beating your, your rivals, if that exists or, or, or doesn't. We feel as if it does. Mm. But. But, yeah, and also this game so early in the season, we don't know yet whether City and Arsenal are going to be the two challengers. Was, yeah, so. Michael was pointing out Liverpool might be the... Uh, could be Chelsea. Could be Chelsea, could be so many, many teams. Could be Newcastle, the way they have been playing. Mm. All right, well, it's been an extraordinary week. It's been quite a long Totally Football show, so we'll park it there. There'll be another one along on Sunday evening, reacting to Arsenal Man City and all the rest of the weekend. So uh, I hope you'll be joining us for that. Let's know. Rafa, you'll be joining us on Tuesday again for another Euros show. Michael, look forward to seeing you here again soon and reading your exciting uh, six-point title showdown. It, it is very exciting. Sure Thank you for is. using I mean, that word. Yeah. yeah. And also, I believe you're going to break it down on the tactics, the Athletic Football Tactics podcast. That is correct. With Duncan very, very shortly. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, well, we fluffed you up nicely for that one. We'll let you go. <laughs> Listener, enjoy your weekend, and we'll catch up with you soon on the Totally Football Show. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for the Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. 
Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.